0: toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, it's a, it's common that kids fall on a continuum somewhere between uh, compliant and defiant. So the compliant kids are the ones who, you know, they're, they're kind of easy. They're kind of like, hey, you know, how can I serve you, mom and dad? You know, they're just, whatever you ask them to do, they, they jump right on it. Defiant, though, we, we have another maybe kinder word for that, easier word for that, and that is strong-willed. And so we will say, you know, those are the kids and it's just like whatever you ask them to do, it's like, you know, arms folded and, and not gonna do that. Interesting thing is that I, you know, I've interacted with some parents and their, their first child is compliant. And so it's just all easy. You know, they're like growing up as a toddler and, you know, just like, put your toys away. Okay, mommy. And they just, you know, put it away. And so those parents will go hang out with parents who have a defiant child. And so they're, the, the defiant parents are just pulling their hair out and they're just like, what do I do? I, I, don't, I don't know how to handle this. And like, you know, please, somebody give me some advice. And so the compliant parents, they, they go home and they're just like, what's wrong over there? You know what? What are those parents doing wrong? I mean, we you know we got this figured out. You just like you say this and you do this, and and then you get this great great outcome. They must not be walking with the Lord. You know we we need to to pray for them. And you know you know what we should do? We should write a book. We should let everybody know like this is how you you raise a child. You know that's kind of how that works. And then. They have a second child, and they're defiant. And then they're just like, oh, okay, now we know what's going on here. And they repent, you know, in dust and ashes. God, I'm sorry for, for my pride. You know, parents, all parents, I think, wish that they could reward their kids and bless their kids in positive ways, like, all, all the time. But that, that can't be, it, particularly if you have a, a, a naturally defiant kind of child. There's, there's discipline that has to be brought. And some of that discipline is really, really hard. That is how God deals with people sometimes, right? Sometimes we as God's children are defiant, and so God has to bring discipline for us. I will just say here that that is not God's first choice, which which may be news for some of you this morning, because maybe some of you are just new to faith, you're just trying to figure out, you know, what what God is like, and and your perspective, your perception of God is that he is sitting on his celestial throne, just, you know, kind of looking and watching you just to bring the divine zap. He's waiting for you to do something wrong so he can bring the divine zap. And that that is not we're going to see this morning that is not God's heart. I mean God's heart is to bless his children. But when we are defiant, he can't just bless us. Sometimes he has to bless us with discipline. So this morning, we're going to ask and answer the question, how does God handle his defiant children? How does he handle us when we say, God, I I know that you have told me this, I'm gonna do that anyway. God, I know that you have told me when I have a a conflict with somebody, if I I have a, a hurt towards somebody, I know you've told me to go to that person and talk that through with them and extend grace. I'm just gonna go over here and I'm gonna tell everybody else and I'm gonna spread poison about that instead of handling it the way that you told me to handle it. God, I know you've told me to put you first in, in my life, but my, my job, I just, just a few more years, I've just gotta get to this point in, in, my, in my work. And, and on and on we, we could go. How does God handle his defiant children, it's important for us to know the answer to that because we need to know how to best respond when he brings discipline. Let's find out how to do that in Hosea chapter 5. If you would turn there with me, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one there on a seat close to you, and it's on page 840. If you are watching online, good morning, and we are glad to have you with us. I uh, hope that you will turn as well because you're going to get a lot more out of it if you can follow along with us. We're in a series called God's Way with the Wayward in Hosea. And I'm just going to tell you, today's text is almost all judgment and discipline. So before we get into Hosea 5, I want to take us back to week one of this series. And this will be a reminder for some of you. and It'll be new for, for others. And we asked the question there, why, why study the Hebrew prophets? I mean, if they're, you know, fire and brimstone and it's just a lot of negativity and stuff, why are we even studying this? How does it apply to us? And we found the answer to that question. In Scripture, so this is not my answer to that question, okay? This is God's answer to that question in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Okay, so how much of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable? All of it. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so we, we generally like the teaching and the training part. I mean, we, we kind of like to learn and grow and do new things, but sometimes the reproof and the correction is necessary as, as well. So last week we were in uh, Hosea chapter 4, a courtroom scene with God bringing his case against the people of, of Israel the people of Israel who were being defiant. And so the today we are going to follow up what we talked about last week. We're, and so last week we saw the whole courtroom scene and the charges God was bringing. Today we're gonna see the ruling and the reckoning and the return. And so the return, you'll you'll see what that means. It may not be what you think it is, We'll see what uh, what that means when we get to the end, the ruling, the reckoning, the return. We'll start with God's ruling against His people, and what we're going to see here in the first seven verses is three cycles of sin. God pointing out their sin, and then the consequences of that sin. So three cycles. That sounds like a lot, ah, but. They're, they're not very long, okay, fairly short. And, and part of why I, I point this out is because I want you to, I want, I want to help us appreciate how carefully this has been crafted as a piece of poetry. So, so it's, you know, all the thought that went into it, it's, it's kind of amazing. So we'll, we will start with the first cycle in verse one. Hear this, O priests, Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. This sounds a lot like the first verse of chapter four that we saw last week, if you remember that. It started with Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Remember, courtroom scene. This is a call to order. I love how. Steve characterized this last week. It's a call to order. It's the point in the courtroom where everybody's in there and they're milling around and they're kind of talking a little bit, waiting for the judge, and then someone says, all rise. And the judge comes in and takes his seat, and there's this respect and this reverence. That's what we're getting called to here at the beginning, again, of chapter 5, reading on. He says, for you have, so the judgment is for you because you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. So, what was going on at Mizpah and Tabor was idol worship. And he says, the leaders, that who he's addressing here, the, the priests and the, the king, they're leading in a way that allows this to go on, even encourages this kind of sin to go on. So that's why the judgment is coming on them. Verse two, and the revolters have gone deep, the revolters, that sounds a lot like defiant, doesn't it? The revolters have gone deep into slaughter. Another way to translate that word is depravity. So all of that is is sin, but then here's the consequence. But I will discipline all of them. Okay, so that's the first cycle. Second cycle, verse three. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. Remember, Ephraim is just another term that's used interchangeably with Israel. I know Ephraim, Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. So God says, Israel, you're, you're not hidden from me. What you're doing, I see. See, sometimes I think we, we sin and we think, ah, man, God, God doesn't see that. God says nothing is hidden from me. It, it's a reminder even of, of the garden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They hid, you know, so, and God shows up and says, where are you? And that that wasn't God like wringing his hands, like, oh, I lost them. They were just right here. And now where did they go? And what if they get into trouble? God knows exactly where they are. It's a question of conviction, to to bring conviction. Where are you? What have you you done? Nothing is hidden from God. And then he says, Ephraim, you have played the whore. And this brings us back to the core of of the message of Hosea, this idea of idolatry, of trading the the true God for a a false God, of giving our best attention and affection and adoration to something other than the true God. Verse 4, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. I want to point out something here in verse 4 that's really important, and and it's basically as we talk about this idea of defiance. This is the anatomy of a defiant heart at the beginning of verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. They have so given themselves over to what they want that they can no longer even choose to do what God wants. They they are trapped. They are enslaved. They're enslaved to sin. Here's what we need to understand about sin. Sin is never content to just entertain us. Sin will not, it'll start that way. But the the deception is that, oh, sin's just going to entertain me. Sin will not stop until it enslaves us. And it traps us to the point here that he's saying that their deeds won't even permit them to return. And then verse four ends with, they know not the Lord. That, That idea of knowing God, knowing the true God, that was huge last week in chapter four, knowing God, being close to God. What Steve taught us last week is that if we don't know God, We can't follow God. And so the sad reality is that generations have gone by by this point when Hosea is speaking. Generations have have gone by without knowing the true God, without knowing Yahweh. 130 years have gone by since the kingdom divided and we had the northern kingdom of Israel that started with King Jeroboam and he's the one who set up idols and then king after king after king after king did not depart from the idolatry, but they participated in that idolatry. And so generation after generation has gone by without knowing who God is. We're still in the second cycle here, and the judge is continuing to read the ruling. Okay, verse 5. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him he has withdrawn from them. Verse six, it looks like they're doing something good here. With their flocks and herds, they they go to seek the Lord, but they're really, they're hypocrites because they they really don't know him. They don't understand that he says, you have to worship me exclusively. They're dividing themselves. They have a divided heart between worshiping the true God and worshiping a false God. And so, end of verse 6, God has withdrawn himself from them. That's the judgment of cycle two. That's, that's terrifying. That should be terrifying to us, that he would withdraw himself. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of someone who's close to you withdrawing themselves from you. Maybe they just give you the silent treatment and they just won't, won't talk to you. Like that, that is like a deep hurt. Like how can I, how can I reestablish this Connection, So it's painful with a person that we love, but with God, it is even more terrifying. And, and I'll, I'll share why. Um, just recently, I have been meditating on Psalm 16. It's one of my favorite Psalms. The last verse of Psalm 16 says, you make known, this is a prayer, God, you make known to me the path of life. Like, you tell me how to experience real life. You make it known to me. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, like just not half full, like fullness, overflowing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God, the true God, is the ultimate source of life and of joy and of pleasure. And if the true God withdraws himself, what are we left with? Well, we're left with an empty life. And we're we're left with fleeting joy, temporary joy. We're left with a pleasure that doesn't satisfy. There's one last cycle, only one verse long. Okay, verse seven. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have born alien children, so that's referring to the fact that they've, they've had children that they've not brought up in the faith to follow the true God. They are alien to God. They don't know him. And so the judgment is, now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. The, the new moon celebration was something celebrated every month with the new moon. The, it, the, the celebration in itself wasn't wrong but it got mixed in with all of these other religions. And so God says, okay, when the new moon comes, there won't be any crops for your field. I'm going to withhold those from you. This is all God's ruling against his people because of their defiant heart and now the reckoning. So the ruling comes, and then here's the, the judgment. Verse 8, blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at beth We will follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. So a desolation is coming a, a war's coming they're blowing the the horn they're blowing the trumpet that happened when there was a, a danger when there was an attack coming when there was a war coming that's that's what's happening here god is allowing a an enemy nation to come in and and bring desolation on israel because of their defiant heart Verse 10, the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am, or therefore, I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah." So before the war, moth and dry rot will, will come. They, they're silent destroyers, right? God says, I'm going to work silently to, to start rotting you from the inside before you get crushed from the outside. When, when we're rotting on the inside, a lot of times we don't even recognize it. I mean, it's maybe something to reflect on for a moment. Have you experienced that kind of rot on the inside, where you know, you you know that you're you're headed in a in a wrong direction? So God begins a, a judgment on the inside, of kind of crushing you from the inside out. Verse thirteen. So when Ephraim saw his sickness, saw that he was rotting on the inside, and Judah, his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. So, so they're gonna go now um, to, to, to an, a country, a powerful country close to them and say, would you protect us? In fact, Assyria came and invaded Israel, put, started putting pressure on them, and they just first paid tribute Trying to keep them at bay, so they're like, "Okay, now, now we're okay. Now we're paying tribute to this powerful country, to Assyria. Now, not only will they not invade us, but they'll help protect us from other nations." But that didn't that didn't last. And eventually, Assyria is the one the nation that came in and actually took the people into exile. And We'll, we'll talk more about that in another another week. But. God says, you're going to these places and they're not able to cure you or heal your wound. And then verse 14, God speaking, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I mean, earlier we we saw the, Anatomy of a defiant heart. This is the prescription for a defiant heart. What does a defiant heart need? A defiant heart calls for divine rebuke. When a heart is so hard to God that it can't choose to obey, then God's got to do something radical. And so God rebukes. Sometimes really strongly as we are seeing here. God is not, he doesn't punish. I mean, we did see that word here. That's, it, that would be actually in verse 9 in the day of punishment. It's better translated rebuke than punishment. Punishment is punitive by definition. It's, it's, it's saying You've done something wrong, and now I'm going to rub your nose in the, the dirt. I'm going I'm to bring you down. There's, a, there's kind of a hostility and anger towards it. God is not punitive. God is also not permissive. God also doesn't just look the other way when, when we disobey him and say, oh, people will be people. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. God is a father who loves his children too much to let them continue in filth. And so he rebukes them. He says, I can't can't let you continue. He creates the conditions most conducive for repentance. Here's something that we we need to understand, and I think sometimes we, we forget. God is loving but he is not to be trifled with. I mean, he characterizes himself as a lion. I mean, this is rough. This is like gory stuff here in verse 14. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off. So that's a clear reference to an exile that's coming. And no one shall rescue. My daughter, Marissa, had the opportunity a few weeks ago to go to Kenya, and several others from, from Grace Point went as well. They went to the Benjamin Wellness Center, named for, for Daryl's dad, and they served there in, a, in that clinic for over a week, long, long days, thousands of, of people. And then at the end of that serving, they got to go on a safari, And Marissa is sending these pictures back, and I'm like, wow, this is on my bucket list now, because, I mean, they were just amazing. I mean, they're just out there in the wild. And so she sent this picture of a lion, and if you're having trouble seeing it, it's because it's through binoculars, because you don't get very close to a lion. It's it's funny, because the the giraffe pictures, I mean, they're like right up there. I mean, they're like kissing the camera. And this is like, yeah, we're not going to get too close. To the lion, especially because they're eating. I, I don't know if you could tell that. There's there's that's a carcass right right there. And so I kind of picture what goes on here in you know in the grasslands where you've got a herd of antelope, and you've got, you know, the, the lion crouching and waiting for his moment. And then eventually he leaps out, and the antelope, you know, they go, and then poor, you know, slowest antelope is the one that, you know, the lion gets a hold of and he grabs it and he drags it back to his pride, you know, and now they've they've got lunch and so they're they're doing that. So I picture like what's what's going on with the antelopes. They they kind of regroup. Here's what's not going on with the antelopes. Like they they regroup and they're like, okay, let's count off everybody. Like who who are we missing? Oh, we're missing Barney. Okay, all right, where's the SEAL team? Okay, SEAL team, you're gonna go in and you're gonna go get Barney. We'll send a, a drone ahead and they'll get some intel. And then we're, we're bringing Barney back, all right? That's not happening. That, that, that's, here's what's happening with the antelope. They're regrouping. Who, who are we missing? We're missing Barney? Okay, moment of silence for, for Barney. Okay. They're not going after that. And and God says, no one will rescue. You can go to Assyria. You can go to Egypt. But when I bring my judgment, no one will be able to rescue you. You have been defiant, and it is time for a reckoning. After the reckoning, there's one last verse in chapter 5. Let's call it the return. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. This is God. This is the lion returning to his den and saying, now I'm going to wait to see what will my people do. Will my people stay stuck with a defiant heart where sin is in control? See, this this chapter is intentionally left open-ended. There is no resolution here. Because Hosea wants us to consider what is our response when we are Defiant, will, will we stay stuck? Will we cling on to the sin? Or will we embrace the solution for a defiant heart? We've had a, the anatomy of a defiant heart and a prescription for a defiant heart. Here's the solution for a defiant heart right here in this verse, to acknowledge guilt and to seek him to acknowledge guilt here's what acknowledging guilt is is to agree with god that what he says is sin is sin so a few examples of this this is by far not exhaustive but for example will we agree with god that Pursuing success over relationship with God is wrong, or will we say, "No, I, this is what I this is what I've got to do"? Will will we agree with God that pursuing money, material things, as our primary goal in life, over and above God, will we agree that that's wrong? Will we agree? That we are not to seek an unhealthy attachment to another person where we're like codependent with them. Like I I need you and you need me. And so this is how we we get along. Instead of placing our dependence on the the Lord and trusting in in him. Um, Will we agree with God that it's not right to to unite ourselves in, in marriage with someone who is not following the Lord, does not share our faith? Will will we agree with God and say, um, in my same-sex attraction, I'm not going to act on that because that is not what God approves of? So will we acknowledge our guilt, and then will we earnestly seek him? Will we say, God, I need you to cure and to, to heal me. No one else can do it. I, I need you. See, we live in a wonderful day where we know something more fully than Hosea knew because we live on the other side of, of Jesus' coming. And so what we see in Romans chapter 3 is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have been defiant and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So as Hosea uh, 5.15 ends with, we need to acknowledge our guilt and seek his face. we can we, we need to also say we, we need to seek christ we're, we're coming to Christ for the forgiveness. No one else can save me. no one else can save me from myself. No one else can release me from the the enslavement to to sin. No one can do that except for for Jesus. so so Wrapping up, some of us probably by personality are more compliant than others, but all of us have moments, some have seasons of being defiant before the Lord. And the, the only, you know, what, what a defiant heart calls for, the only cure is a divine rebuke. And so what I, I hope you know today What I hope you realize is that the the rebuke that God brings into your life, the reckoning that God brings into your life, he does because he loves you too much to let you continue in a path that is running away from from him. So God is waiting. That's what we ended with. He's going to return to his place and he's going to wait to see, will you today acknowledge your guilt? and seek his face. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for loving us too much to let us go our own way and, and make our own path. Lord, you make known to us the path of life. And Lord, thank you that you also provide for us the way of forgiveness and the way of grace because of Jesus' sacrifice. We sang so much about that here this morning. Lead us to the cross, Lord, where we can acknowledge our guilt and seek your your face. Lord, as we as we sing to you may we may we open would you open our hearts Lord for someone who's in this room and maybe right now in a season of defiance against you and they cannot save themselves Lord would you speak to their hearts and and draw them to yourself Lord maybe you've been drawing them through a reckoning, through a difficult season in in their life would you help them to recognize what you're doing? and to recognize the grace that you hold out to them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as we sing the, this last song, I'll just encourage you, if you're in a place today where you want to acknowledge your guilt and seek his face, i would just encourage you to come uh, up front as we're singing this song, and you can, you can pray here uh, on the stairs, or our prayer team is available. If you'd like to pray with someone, just stand right up here, and we'll, we'll come. And uh, and pray with you.